Welcome to the Diving Pod. I am Matt O'Neill, the head diving coach at Harvard University. And I'm Heath Calhoun. Uh, we just want to thank Matt for coming on here. Uh, we're excited to talk to him and kind of hear about his journey and what he likes to do with his divers uh, and kick it over to Aaron real quick. I'm Aaron Rooney. Uh, I'm also on vacation right now in Florida, so the uh, Wi-Fi connection isn't amazing, but we'll do our best to kind of ask Matt questions and get out of get out of the way for him to answer. But uh, thanks again, Matt. You know, when we started two weeks ago, we never would have expected to get, you know, the Harvard diving coach, one of the most prestigious universities in the United States on the podcast. So that's pretty overwhelming, pretty amazing. So, uh, yeah, thanks again. So uh, we'll start pretty simple, Matt. Uh, we just want to ask you, you know, where are you from? What high school did you go to? How did you get to where you chose to go in college? Maybe what colleges you looked at and, you know, your, your coaching journey. How did you get to sitting it in the Harvard diving chair? Ah, uh, thanks for asking. So I guess um, I'm from Cleveland, Ohio originally. Um, and my journey kind of started, I, I joined swim team when I was eight years old. And my first swim coach was a guy by the name of Brendan Conway. And he was one of these division three swimmers turn diver. Um, and I was doing flips off the block and he said, Hey, why don't you come to my diving class at eight o'clock in the morning? And um, gave me lots of advice, like jump higher, spin faster. And I think, you know, after a couple summers of lessons, I could do a front one and three quarter pretty well, um, you know, front flip, full twist. And finally he said, Hey, uh, my college coach, Lewis Fellinger has a team called North coast diving. You should, you should look them up. And so um, I started diving for Lewis who coached John Carroll university still does um, as well as anywhere from nine to like 15 high schools, depending on the year. Um, yep. And my school, Charles F brush high school got picked up there. Um, so I dove for Lewis year round did regionals. I did some AAU meets. I went to USA Nationals. Um, but when I was 17, my boss had come to me and uh, as a lifeguard and said, hey, we need an eight and under swim coach. And so kind of full circle, I, I went back into Brendan's position and um, took a lot of my time away from my training and actually started coaching swimming. Um, and, you know, as the recruiting process was going, I was looking for bigger schools with maybe not, not Ohio state level diving programs. Um, so I was looking at Pittsburgh and, uh, West Virginia university and had the, uh, phone call with Julian where he said, Hey, I think you might need to red shirt a year and dive for my club team. Cause I have a full squad. And I said, Hey, I'm going to go to the rival school. I'm going to go dive at West Virginia university. Um, while I was there, I, I majored in athletic coaching education and, um, my advisor was Dr. Diefenbach, who was a, an Olympic mountain bike coach and had been wow. a division one track runner at Boston University. Um, and, and also, you know, I was coaching swimming all through college. And so a lot of what I was learning was tapering and periodization and um, hadn't really ever done it in diving, but it, you know, it makes sense. You have this goal, you know, when you have an outcome goal, my goal is to win the Big East Conference meet. So I want to be at my very best, not in October, but, you know, that particular day. And so, you know, in swimming, 
they always understand this mid-season swim. I'm slower now than I'm going to be. You know, that taper is going to work and I'm going to be better. Um, and, and my last coach, Michael Gregner, I had three coaches in college. Mike did a pretty good job of that and started teaching me some of that. And then I started working on projects doing that in college with Dr. Diefenbach. And so I kind of had all these plans in my back pocket. Um, you kind of fast forward a few years, I had worked a professional career. I had coached a little swimming and got hooked up with Mark Cahallan at American Flyers Diving, um, looked around and just had a ton of talent. And he really, I mean, he brought me in and on the first day said, hey, go coach those kids over there. You know what to do. Um, and him and I just kind of hit it off from the start and really um, ran things together. And it was more about making sure that every kid could do every category every week that started really implementing a lot of the planning. And it was that um, we had grown a lot. And so we had some kids that came three or four or five or six days per week. And so it was really hard to control making sure that kid that comes three days a week hits every category when you're just kind of showing up and saying, we're doing backs today. We're doing twisters today. Um, so I would, I said, Hey, Mark, I, I'm going to write out all of our practices for the next six months or a year, or, you know, just let me try this. And we, we split everybody into groups and the red group came three days a week. And then white was four and blue is five or something like that. So that we knew, you know, how to fit everything in. And then from there, it turned into like, okay, you know, you're getting everything done. How can we tweak it so that we get that peak performance at the end of the season? And, you know, I learned a lot about overtraining and it's necessary at certain points in the season, but it's typically preseason work. And, you know, the very beginning of the season, you put in a lot of repetitions so that you're kind of stronger there at the end of the season. And, for me, a lot of it is mental, you know, let's give you a plan so that we can build the consistency and that, you know, going into that final meet of the season, like this is the best I have felt all year and, right. you know, partially a placebo effect. Um, but, you know, we put it in place and it was really cool to watch what had been a theory turn into divers getting better, you know, over the last couple weeks of the season, and then ultimately having their best performances at a national championship meet. Um, and so, you know, I, I think I have mostly just been really lucky that I've been put in a position where I've had the freedom to do all of it. Um, divers that have bought into it. And um, ultimately, you know, it's been a lot of fun to watch them grow through the whole process. Yeah, you know, just to kind of jump in on that real quick, you know, uh, you mentioned Mark at American Flyers, and I think he is extremely well respected, uh, you know, in every diving circle I've ever talked, high school, USA, college, like everybody knows Mark, you know, that says a lot about him and you that he, you know, someone as well established as him was willing to say, go ahead, make this plan, you know, what did that mean to you? Because that was pretty early on in your coaching career um, for, for someone like that to really say, go for it. Like, what did that mean to you? I mean, it, it just really meant everything. And I, I mean, partially, like I knew he trusted me um, kind of from the get-go when he just said, hey, go coach those kids. 
but to kind of say, hey, I'm going to let you take a little bit more control here was, I mean, just huge for me. And he knew that kind of this is my end goal. My end goal wasn't to stay in Ohio and coach American Flyers diving. It was to, you know, get to a point where I can really run my own team, you know, at the highest level. And we had, we had the talent to do it. And I think, um, you know, partially he, he said, Hey, I need help with the organization part. And I think there are things that he can tell the divers about what they do in the air that he says with such an artistic touch that um, I can't, I don't really grasp it. And so I, I kind of joked, he was an artist and I was an engineer and, you know, it, it wasn't that one of us was great. It was that we worked really well together. Um, and so it was really cool that he would just follow the plans, but a big part of me writing practice plans is so that I don't ever have to tell a kid what dive to do. Um, I had this kind of this breakthrough one day where I said, all right, if you, you, you know, say you're working on back one and a half and you coach the first one, uh, you know, you talk about the reach and then the second one, you're talking about their head position and the third one, something about their kick out. And then they do a fourth one and you say, all right, now we're going to do it pike. But you've kind of just wasted a quarter of those dives, you know, because you, you didn't tell them anything other than to do it pike. So I'm like, I'm going to have four reps written out. You're doing four tuck and four pike so that I can coach every single one. Um, and then the variance in the reps from week to week is how you kind of control that effect and the outcome from it. Awesome. awesome. That was one of my, uh, one of my questions coming in here was how detailed do you get with how many reps you're doing? What dives specifically, like, you know, how, how detailed is this? Because, you know, for me in my high school setting, I look at my kids and I say, all right, we got 30 minutes to do backs. We got 15 minutes to do fronts because we did fronts yesterday as well. You know, how detailed in time, in, in terms of numbers or time, like, tell me about that. Oh, it's good question. It's, it's a mutual relationship where, you know, your number of divers and the number of boards and really how they're working makes such a big difference. And so I kind of, you know, it, it took a lot of trial and error. I think when I first started writing out practices, I was like, we're going to do 60 reps every day. And yeah, I had these crammed club practices and they, if they get through half, I'm lucky. And I'm like, all right. So, you know, that's not ideal, but you know, um, with my college team, it's a lot easier to say, I'm going to have six kids. I have four springboards, you know, a big thing for me is separation, you know, Hey, I don't want four people behind one board. I want uh, you guys as spread out as possible. You know, you don't get to really pick your, you get to pick between two boards at a meet. Typically you don't get to kind of pick an, oh, I, I only like the board at Clarion, you know? <laughs> yep. Um, and so it's like, Hey, you know, if you need to move over and also partially is I, I have 15 college divers. I'm not going to see every rep. And so let's get as much done as possible. You guys are going to need to take ownership and, you know, kind of be professionals about it. And um, I love this in dry land where I'm like, okay, you guys are coaching dry boards. So you have two divers per dry board. They're coaching each other. I can be coaching whoever's on the trampoline. Um, sometimes it's just talking to one of the divers, you know, and 
here we get a lot of academic stress. And so, you know, hey, let's let's talk about what you're going through and what, you know, do you need to leave early? What what needs to get done so that you're still successful in the classroom? That's awesome. Yeah. You know, I think that makes um, a lot of sense. Uh, one 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 more question real quick. How do you handle if a kid or an athlete has has like a snag and and you need more time or you need more reps on a dive? Let's say you're, you're lead up for, I don't know, front three and a half. And, you know, the leads just aren't going quite as well as you'd want them to. How do you handle, do you just kind of push through and, and ignore the, the time element? Or do you say, you know what, we're going to come back to this another day. It's just not working. How do you go about that? Well, I, you know, I, I figure if you have a plan, you can always change it. And that's huge for me. And um, I'm, you know, I like to bring up inwards a lot because on my college team, I have a girl who does inward double as an optional and a guy who does inward three and a half. And so you, you know, and I'm, I can't really plan 15 practices a day realistically, but I can write out one plan and say, okay, Audrey, you're going to follow this pattern so that we're building up to inward double Luke, you're following this pattern to get to inward three and a half, you know, um, and then when they get to a, a dive that they're struggling with, you know, it's easy. We say, Hey, grab the sheet. What can we change on here for me? I, you know, I'm big, keep do more lead ups, you know, if you need to do more. Um, and then when it comes to learning dives, you know, we kind of put a date on a calendar and I go, you know, you start doing full out lead up early in the season. I go, you know, Hey, there's this week you know, in November where we don't have a meet, I think that's going to be a great day, you know, a great week to take that dive up. And so now they're doing the lead up for eight weeks or so before they actually try it. And so it's like, they're overly comfortable by the time I really, you know, have them doing new things. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. You know, I think you mentioned it earlier, like the mental side that has to just help build so much trust with your athletes when it's, you know, you're not looking at Aaron and saying, Hey, go do, front three and a half pike you did front triple today or you did front two and a half pike long we're gonna do it for a long period of time so that way when it's there they trust it and they trust you that oh i do have this yeah i mean there are definitely times that you know that varies and i had a diver last year do backflip two and a half twists for the first time ever and take it up to three meter that day and dive it in and would have done it for sevens but that was more of a matter of he probably should have learned it when he was 15 <laughs> um you know, and so, as I, you know, I, and I, I say this with everything in life, once you have a plan, you can change it. And then it's easy to say, okay, well, if I'm going to do this now, instead, I, I just have to get to that later. Right. Um, you know, so, so we're talking about your time at American Flyers and you were kind of there and also with Case Western at the time. So, so was, was Harvard one of those schools that you had your, your eye on as you were coming up? Like, man, that would just be an awesome job. Or was that just more of a, you know, Case is an extremely prestigious academic school as well. And, um, you know, it was just something that seemed like the right fit for you. I guess, what drew you to that position? There's a lot. Um, I mean, I think there, there's a lot that attracts people to Harvard as a whole. Yeah, <laughs> fair. There's so much history in every part of the school. And um, I, I think once I saw that the job was available, I was like, wow, that is just so cool because they, you can recruit from anywhere in the world. And, yeah. you know, 
the diver, you get good divers, but they're all going to go on and do something even better, um, yeah. which is really cool. And uh, then the other part was the Case Western part. And I had, you know, on one hand, American Flyers who had, we had just taken, you know, from 30 something place at USA Diving Nationals to a top five team in the country. Uh, and then Case Western where I had a few good athletes, but I had, I, I always called them the smartest team in the country. You know, they were all biomedical engineering slash pre-med. Um, you know, I had a, a young lady who was a dance major and I was like, you know, I thought this was wild. She missed, missed our winter invite with Heath every year yeah. because of her big dance recital. So she never <laughs> came to this meet and, um, you know, it was okay. And, one day she was talking about her 20 credit hours. And I was like, Vera, you know, I thought you were a dance major. She's like, oh, I'm a dual chemical engineering major. It's like, oh, <laughs> you know, and kind of learning how to deal with that level of academics, I think really set me up so that when I, I came out to Harvard, you know, for, for lack of a better word, I, I spoke the language. You know, I, I understood what they were going through as students. I wasn't somebody that came in and said, oh, we're going to practice 20 hours a week because that's what I did in college. And we're going to hit the weight room a ton. And, you know, we do hit the weight room a ton. I'm not going <laughs> to lie. But, you know, I'm like, hey, we're going to we're going to put in 15 hours a week, maybe 12. You know, if you need an afternoon off, that's fine. You know, if you if you're up until two o'clock in the morning, maybe don't show up to that 6 a.m. lift. Um, you got a question uh yeah, you were kind of leading into it. I just want to talk about Harvard, the school, just in general. Uh, how do you deal with school stress? For lack of a, a better word, you know, you seem extremely supportive of the, the student part of student athletics. Go through how does that balance in your in your diving world and in your diving life? You know, are there times when you just have to let the athletes walk away for a day or a week? You know, talk a, a little bit about you know, that Harvard prestigious school and, and how it can weigh on the diving? Um, there's kind of two components to it where on the one hand, my athletes are so driven that they don't want, you know, they don't really want to give themselves that day off. And it, if they ever come to me and say that they're stressed out because of school, it's probably like three days later than they should be there telling me that they're stressed out about school. And so I know that, you know, I give them a lot of freedom. On the other hand, though, I'm, we as, as a Harvard athletic community realize we are the, the place where they go to de-stress. You know, for most of these athletes of all sports, practice is the best part of your day. You know, you're with your friends. My divers laugh more than anybody I've ever met. You know, they just... They, they come to practice for each other and to really enjoy it. And I think it gives them a place to kind of forget about school for two hours, you know, and that's really how we focus it. And then, you know, it is really encouraging that, that schoolwork. And um, we use a lot of positive peer pressure. And you know, I think there's a reason that our teams have the highest GPAs in the country or, you know, are always in the top five or so you know, and it's because we are supportive of them and, you know, and not trying to run them into the ground. And if, 
if you give them that extra day off, you're going to get more out of them, you know, the rest of the week. So it's worth it. That's awesome. Um, you know, kind of to, to go back to your, your season planning, you know, how has that changed for you? I would imagine, you know, when you first started really implementing that with, uh, with American Flyers, with Case, how has that changed for you over, you know, the course of the last seven or so years? I would imagine it's not what it looked like when you first started it. How do you kind of reassess yourself? How do you go back and critique what you're doing and how to get better? Yeah, I mean, I look for parts in the season that just, for starters, didn't go as well as I had hoped. Um, Season one at Harvard, I came out and I, I tapered everyone for the winter invitational and they were so wrapped up with finals that um, it didn't matter. And we went out to Minnesota and they were just, weren't really the, the kids that I knew. And I, I mean, just all stressed because of school and, you know, not that they dove real poorly, just up and down, you know, it was, it was a little inconsistent and kind of what you expect when your focus is on these midterms or finals or projects. And, um, you know, so looking at that, I'm like, well, if our mid season invite isn't really, you know, we don't win anything from it. Why plan for that? You know, and, um, that was just me looking at what I thought as a college coach. And I think that was, Hey, that's what the swimmers do. That's what we'll do. You know, you taper for two big meets a year. That's one of them. So, um, and kind of looking at that, I'm like, wait, when I was coaching club, it was a, a 10, 11 month plan, not, you know, a semester plan. And so, you know, that's my biggest difference here is like, I'm going to stretch this drills phase and skills phase out. Um, and so I guess I can kind of touch a little bit on the info that I did send to you guys and just how I, I split this up. Um, I'm a huge believer in doing the drill work. And I think when you take away the moving parts, it's easiest to fix the components. So um, yeah, you guys here are looking at just my, my first semester outline for my first semester at Harvard. And um, you can see us, you know, kind of building into that Minnesota Invitational. And I think now I would just stretch that drills phase out a little bit, stretch that skills phase more into that second semester. So when I say the drills phase, what I really mean is just dives that you're not going to compete. So I, I love when divers do back twisters without an arm circle, because I think it forces you to start the dive with your arms in the right position, as opposed right. to doing the arm circle and having a hard time getting them all the way through. So you, you know, reinforce that position. And then once you add the arm circle back into it, the reach is going to be a lot better. So, you know, I find that really important, even with the really high level divers, you know, how can we tweak these little things? Um, then the skills phase, I think, is what most of us think of as, as a diving practice. You come in, you do one category, you do two categories, you know, you do fronts and front twisters, you do fronts and inwards. Um, so we're in there for a while. And the goal for me in that phase is to build the repetitions. So by the end of it, I want them to be okay with doing six, eight, 10, three Oh fives in a row, you know, it's not really what anybody wants to do, but once you're, you know, you're good at it and it's consistent, then you're just okay with it. Um, so the basis of all this is right out of the essentials of strength and conditioning. And it's, you build for three to four weeks and you rest for a week. 
And so that's exactly what we do. Even in the drills phase, we're going to go standing. We're going to add a little double bouncing. We're going to go triple bouncing. Then we're going to go back to standing drills for a week, but add a flip to it, you know, so it's a little bit harder, but less on the legs. Um, and then it's kind of the same. You build, 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 build. And I think consistency does the same thing. So that's with our list phase at the end of the season, you know, it's like you're going through your list a lot. Now we're going to go through your list five of each, you know, we only have six dives. So, you know, that's, you can get through that. And then it's like, we're going to do three of each and then one of each. And then it's, we're going to do two of each and then one of each and then one of each. And you kind of dial in and figure out when each diver is most consistent. And that's really going to help them figure out how they want to warm up. And during that phase, we compete in practice just about every day. One, uh, one thing on the, on the end of season training for kind of a bigger competition, I know the Clarion crew did that. And so I picked up on what they were doing and I implemented with my high school kids. Talk to me about, you know, time of day specifically. Do you do anything with that? Like if you know your meet is at 3 p.m. in the afternoon, do you arrange your practice schedule to be around the same time? How do you, uh, how do you handle that? Because we always had a big meet and at the end of the year, and we dove in the morning and not a lot of people are, are used to getting up and competing as hard as you can in the morning. So is there anything like that, that you throw in there as well? Um, I probably should do more of that. I think it can be effective. Uh, I, I think I have a little bit, one we share with water polo, so I don't have quite as much leeway with pool time as I would like. Um, so that kind of puts a barrier up and it, it's kind of funny because we have the Ivy league championship and the three meter final is at like 9 PM. And, you know, we don't ever really practice oh. at 9 PM. And then a week or two later, we go into the zone meet and prelims are at like 9 AM and it's, that's a 12 hour difference. Um, so we do, I mean, we do train in the morning and they come in at 7 AM on Saturday and, I don't take it easy on them. It's not like, oh, it's Saturday. You're just going to, no, we're, if you're doing your list, you're doing your list, you know, and if we're doing drills, you're doing drills. Um, and I, you know, now that you mentioned it, I think I'm going to add some evening practices this year, you know, really get them ready for that. Um, <laughs> but a big part of it is I want them to be ready for anything and so that they can compete anywhere. That's awesome. Um, you know, I kind of look at it and, uh, you know, when you got to Harvard, was that something your kids bought into right away? Like that would strike me as something with student athletes or even just students at Harvard. I would imagine time management is something they're very good at. So I would imagine they probably took to that having something so organized. And they're like, this is awesome. Let's go. So I, I joke about my first practice at Harvard and it was in the summer and I had three athletes on campus. And I came home and I was like, I think this is going to be okay. One was always smiling and one was always laughing. And one showed me her Google calendar where she had fun penciled in for two hours every Saturday. <laughs> um, but no, giving them a literal syllabus. I mean, click, it's there. Now they're like, okay, it's on paper. Now we're just going to follow it. Um, you know, that's something that not only do they like, I think they need. You know, and I think if you don't have that, then they're just going to continue questioning, you know, are they doing enough? Can we do more? You know, what is expected? 
Uh, and part of it is, you know, when they came to me last year at the end of January and they said, we are exhausted. I said, perfect. So that's exactly how you need to be feeling right now. <laughs> three weeks from now, you're going to be at your best. And yep. sure enough, that Ivy championship meet came around and everybody was like, man, I have springs for legs, you know, and they jumped through the roof and, um, you know, they just, part of it, you know, is the timing and, you know, how muscle repair works and rest and recovery goes into all this. And then on the other hand is believing in the process, you know, and well, yeah. Hey, coach said, I'm ready. I think I'm ready. Yeah. Yeah. absolutely. is that now you talked about, um, like muscle repair, is that something that you've done research with? Is that something you work with your strength and conditioning coach? Like, you know, what does that look like for your staff or even just for you? Like, how do you, who goes into planning this season plan? Is that just you? Is that strength and conditioning? What's that look like? Yeah. So I meet with strength and conditioning, um, preseason. And, um, by the time this podcast airs, I, I will, my strength and conditioning coach, it'll be public that she's leaving. So that's kind of a bummer. And, you know, so hopefully our next one is, as great. Um, Beth Lazarus is our current strength and conditioning coach, and she is just top notch, knows, really understands, loves the diverse movement patterns and really understands the timing. And so it's easy for her and I to sit down and kind of say, um, you know, here's when I need them to be, you know, at their peak. This is kind of how I want them to get there. Here's a few of the things that I need to work on, you know, their weaknesses. We as a team needed more glute strength last year. Let's, Hey, let's work on it. So, you know, her and I sat down and cranked all that out. I do all the diving specific plans, but, um, you know, I, this was, I, I spent a little time as a personal trainer, um, you know, read through the whole strength and conditioning textbook and really just follow that and understand, you know, I look at it, if you're doing an one it's kind of like a lightweight lift, you know, it's squatting 95 pounds, if you're doing an 03, it's, you know, you're, you're adding a little bit of weight on there. And when you're going 05 and 07, you know, that's like you're lifting really heavy. And I mean, this is, it's a lot of explosive power. And I think people kind of underestimate how much power goes into diving. And so I looked at it, I was like, man, diving and Olympic lifting are the same. So I'm going to look at it like that, because when you're in a competition, you do one rep with every ounce of explosive power you have in your body. And then you go and you sit down for five minutes, 10 minutes, 45 minutes, you know, depending <laughs> on the meat. And then you get back up and you do one more rep with every ounce of energy in your body. And, you know, through college, my um, Dr. Diefenbach taught the class, it was called training theories for coaches. And there was, you know, 25 page research study on rest and recovery for athletes, you know, very, very dry material, but very um, useful. And then kind of looking at, you know, if you don't have the rest and recovery, you don't have that muscle growth, you're not going to create that same muscle memory. And so that's for me, it's really important to have those weeks where you, where you do take it down. You know, a lot of coaches, I think are just building the entire season. Yeah you get to that last meet and all of a sudden your kids are wiped out and you're like, wait, but why, you know, it has to be built in. And, you know, and that's why I just figure it's the same. And I don't know about you guys. When I started doing like full out one Oh seven, that's when I started getting out of breath, you know, I'd get out of the water. Like, oh my God. That one really took it out of me, you know? And I'm uh, I, I'm not a spring chicken anymore. And when I get on with my athletes, I'll do front two and a half tuck on one meter and I get out 
felt like, oh my gosh, this is way harder than I remember. <laughs> what is going on? There, yeah, I have a few dives I'll still do, a few that I've retired. Um, <laughs> they're, yeah, they're tough. Though, got to be honest here, guys, I followed this when I was like 28, I think. I was just, I was lifting all the time. I was doing all my squats and deadlifts and I decided to compete at the AAU national championship. I don't think I had ever felt better on a diving board. I hadn't actually dove in forever, but like I was just strong so I could really ride the board. I was like, oh, 107B, sure. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I'm going to be uh, dusting that one off anytime soon. <laughs> you're, you're a little crazy, but no, I think, uh, you know, so- so I guess what does the future look like for, uh, for Harvard diving? Like, what's your goal? You know, I feel like you, you yourself have to have some personal goals for your team, for yourself, for your athletes. What's that look like? Like what's the, the plan moving forward for Harvard diving? You know, I, I think as a coach, we, we all kind of always put this goal out there that you want to coach the Olympics, you know, and that's kind of the pinnacle of the sport. Um, I think, since I've been here, you know, I haven't lost that dream or anything, but, you know, I've kind of realigned my goals a little bit and I want to coach the president of the United States. Uh, <laughs> actually, JFK swam at Harvard in like 1930 and the coach is quoted as saying, John was a frail boy, so we put him in the backstroke. He was like five, five foot 10, 130 pounds, I think. That's crazy. Oh my gosh. I think Keith, I'm, I'm kind of ready for my signature question here. If we should get onto that part of it. Yeah, go ahead. Fire away. Aaron. So uh, Matt, I'm going to ask every person that comes on this podcast. This is just my signature question. Uh, just typically what I used to say when I was a kid is in diving, if you're not failing, you're not trying hard enough. So my signature question for you is what is your favorite failure all right so i'll set the scene august of 2011 <laughs> about three days before classes started i went to white park in morgantown west virginia and i jumped my mountain bike into a tree at about 30 miles an hour oh all right so that's not my failure right so <laughs> break my collarbone I miss about half the season and I come back and I say, all right, I just, I have to work twice as hard for half as long. Um, Mike handed me, he had the 40 days of practices written out. And I think I finished it in about 20 days. And so I really like put my work in and we have our senior meet against the university of Pittsburgh. And so there's Julian who, you know, had given me this whole, you're, you're not going to make the cut call. And uh, I love Julian, by the way, if he's going <laughs> to listen to this, one of my favorite people. And it's the first time in my college career that anybody from my team had a chance to win an event against Pitt. And oh, wow. so I'm feeling really good. You know, they do the whole walkout with the parents and I get up for my first dive and I did, I was a bad twister, but I could do, you know, full twisting one and a half for 50 points consistently on one meter. So I was like, all right, this week I'm going double twister. And I had finally got it to where I think I can do it for like sixes, which for me was a win. And I squared out at one and a half twist and I'm staring at the ceiling and I just landed flat on my back and I failed the first dive of my senior meet. And 
(laughs) The place was just silent. And I just looked up and I just felt like I had disappointed Julian, (laughs) the coach from the other team. And, you know, I went out, I scored 260 points on my next five dives and I, I won the three meter event. So I finally got to say, hey, somebody got the W against Pitt. But um, that's my favorite fail. That, that's awesome. You know, it's it's ironic that uh, that Julian kind of re- revolves around the two of us because like I know for Julian for club team and, uh, you know, Aaron and I have talked about this pretty extensively. I screwed around all the time. Like, I'm always having fun and, uh, you know, junior year, senior year in college, um, Pitt had won. They had some great divers, uh, Aaron Snyder. They had some really, really talented divers. And I was just really good that day on three meter. And I had w- w- probably my best college meet ever. And I just remember Julian walking up to me and being like, man, I didn't know if you would get to where you could be. And it's, he's like, but you did. And he's like, it, it was awesome to see. And it's like, Julian, just one of those people, like he knows how to motivate people, good, bad, ugly. And it's like, but at the end of the day, the best part, we, we keep talking about our community, our community. Julian wants to watch good diving. And it doesn't matter if you're a pit diver, if you're a Harvard diver, if you're a clarion diver, like he just wants to see good diving. And when he sees it, he lets you know, he sees it. And Julian is like, you know, he's like the eighth wonder of the world in our community. Like he is awesome. Like he's just so much fun to be around, you know, what they did with Pittsburgh, you know, everybody knows pit diving in the Western Pennsylvania area. Um, so that's awesome. But uh, so uh, I guess that leads into my signature question here. So, what is the best advice you have either received or given to somebody? So the best advice I've ever received, I'll set the scene again, <laughs> like maybe January, 2010, I'm in college. I'm, I have this professor, Dr. Zeitz, and he said, my name's Zeitz. It, ri- it rhymes with lights. You should remember that. And he had all these quirky things that he would say all the time. It's about your tube, dude. And he would, as always, he would write it on the board at class every day, tube, dude. And it's like, you need to be early to class. And I mean, I was an athletic coaching education major at West Virginia University, but you look around the classroom and Geno Smith is there and Tavon Austin and, and a few guys who, you know, there was a guy in my class who had gotten cut from the Green Bay Packers practice squad like the year before. So he was like three years in the NFL, um, a pitcher who had just finished up his like five years in the MLB, you know, so there's like five professional athletes in the class, you know, and there's 12 of us total or something. And Dr. Zeitz is like, what are you doing today? And I said, I have to go to practice. And he says, you don't have to go to practice. You get to go to practice. And he like gives me this whole spiel on like, you are representing this great university and traveling across the country. And, you know, there are 28,000 students at this school and none of them get all this gear and get to go and represent this. And, you know, what an opportunity. And I have walked into the pool every day since then and told myself that. And I think that that day my diving took off. I mean, I went from like a decent diver to just so much better. And then I've brought that into my coaching. And I think as a coach, if I want to be there and the divers see that they want to be there too. And, you know, I, I'm going to put in, I think I should be the hardest working person on the pool deck. And that just sets an example for my kids, you know, um, best advice I've ever given. I'm not a hundred percent sure, 
I'm going to go with this though. So I always, you know, encourage you to follow the sheet. Just, I tell the kids, I don't make the rules. You know, I write all the practices, but I don't make the rules. And then they look at it. Um, at AAU Nationals 2018, I had a diver, Jamie Doak, and she said before the 18-year-old girls final, so it was a pretty hotly contested event, she said, you've made me do my list so many times, I'm not even nervous about it. And I, I judged the one meter event. So I'm like, you know, judging these like 15-year-old boys, and I'm kind of like watching out of the corner of my eye, and Jamie goes, 205, six and a half. 405, six and a half, you know, 105, six and a half, back twister, six and a half. And I see all these other girls do something for like threes. I'm like, well, I'm like really not trying to watch their contest. And then she came up at the end. She's like, Matt, I, I won. And just like shock, you know, neither of us really expected it, but just nothing was perfect, but just straight six and a half, like we had practiced it, you know? Yep. And that was... I mean, really, really rewarding for me. That, that's super cool. Go ahead, Rooney. Last one uh, I got here. Um, so I totally agree with, you know, you don't have to go to practice. You get to go to practice. I even remind my athletes of that all the time. They get a little annoyed of it, but that mindset is just, it's absolutely huge. But um, this episode will end up coming out at father's day and i know you're about to be a father talk to us about that give us a little uh, little mindset heading into that new adventure <laughs> in life i uh i joke that i've been practicing raising other people's kids <laughs> for the last 15 years um yeah i mean i'm just really excited i'm having a boy and i you know just like I do with my athletes, you know, I want to support him in anything that he wants to do. And so I'm not going to sit here and be like, my son's going to be an Olympic diver. You know, if he wants to do ballet, I'm going to go to every darn recital <laughs> there is, you know, and if he wants to play flute, sure, you know, or football, you know, I'm going to, he'll be a little five foot six running back. That's fine. <laughs> you know? I'll make sure he's fast. Um, yeah, you know, it's, I'm I'm really really excited and I think it's just such a new adventure and I'm at a place where you know I actually I had a meeting with the head swim coaches earlier today and they were like all right most important you know is everything set for your paternity leave you know is everything in place and they're like keep in mind there are going to be days next year where you're just going to have to miss practice and that's okay <laughs> and I'm like wow you know what did I do you know it's they're um fortunately you know both of the swim coaches they're 50 and one has two kids one has four kids so they get it you know and um I'm just really lucky to be in in this place and um I'll kind of throw something out there since if this is going to come out around Father's Day I think the best memory I have in diving you know, is my dad sitting in the stands um he's an engineer and you know i graduated high school in 2008 so he didn't have smartphones and dive meets and so he had you know his notebook <laughs> and you know I would finish an 11 dive high school meet and he'd be like oh round four Michael Kreft had you by 11 points and then after round eight you really pulled back after that inward double and I'm like what and um, <laughs> 2017 I, I dove the master's national meet because it was in Cleveland and I'm like 27 years old you know just kind of doing this for fun and I I got up on three meter 
like as the event is starting and I looked up and my, my dad was in the stands and I, man, I guess me every time, you know, it's like he took off work. I was 27 years old and he's like <laughs> putzing around, you know, and he was like, oh, of course I'm going to come watch you die. You know, and that's like what I look forward to. So that, that's, oh, that's that. awesome. <laughs> no, no, I think that's awesome. Like, you know, we, we talk about that, like something that sticks out to me and, and we we've talked about it quite a bit between Clarion and St. Cloud where Rooney went to school, where I went to school and like those parents, like they're all there. And it, you know, we talk about it all the time of just this family and it, and it really is like a diving family, like not just Clarion, not just St. Cloud, like the community is a diving family. Like like I feel that like whenever you're like my dad's there and I'm 27 years old, like competing in a meet that really for the most part is just people want to go compete and do something they love. But it, it shows you like, even though you love that sport, like your parents love being a part of it. And I think that that's like, you know, I think my parents still miss like going to nationals. My parents will still be like, Oh, we looked up how the clarion divers did They We saw how the St. Cloud kids did. And it's like, you know, for, for your life, that was part of their life too. And I think, uh, it just, it's really neat to see like some of those memories you have. They're not, they're not just, uh, you know, we, I think a lot of us think it's like, oh man, no one understands, but I think our community gets it. I think yeah, that's so exciting. That, that really hits home for me too. I mean, I coach a, a, a small little high school town in Alexandria and my dad comes to the beats all the time and fortunate to work with him and for him where in the morning I have all my iPad videos of all the kids if he happened to miss the meet and that's the first thing we do 8 a.m he's like all right let's review the meet let's see what happened like oh he he really missed his reverse one and a half last night didn't he it's like it's just it's really cool to to hear not only that story uh from you Matt but uh just just the fact that everybody is so involved and, and so loving in our sport yeah so uh so I have two things and then uh we'll kind of unless anybody else has anything else kind of sign off then. But so two is one, do you have everything planned out for your son in terms of how you're <laughs> going to handle each day? Since it seems like that's how you like to plan your practices. Like, all right, got to stay on this schedule for changing diapers or is it more go with the flow? It's a combination. It's, I know I need a plan, but I think he's going to dictate that plan more than I do. So we're going to, you know, the first <laughs> couple of weeks are going to be a mess and we're going to figure it out. And then I think it'll be routinely scheduled and, you know, we'll be good to go. That's awesome. And, uh, you know, the last thing for me is uh, I just want to thank you again for coming on. I, uh, I'm so excited to see you at Harvard now, you know, coming from small D3 school, you know, where we dove against you and, and I looked forward to that mid-season meet because I, I always like trying to learn from coaches and I knew you were going to be there. And, you know, for a long time, you probably didn't know it. Like you were someone I looked up to in the sport. You were a young coach. You were always working hard. You always had great relationships with your kids. And, and that was something I looked up to quite a bit. And you probably never knew that. But I think now just hearing about the, the culture you guys have there at Harvard, it sounds like it's just the perfect fit. It's, it's such a culture of just understanding and, and accountability and also just having fun. And like, that's something I always took away from you coaching is you were always having fun. And it sounds like, I think a lot of people get the perception of maybe these bigger schools, it's more of a job and it's like, Nope, like just got to get with the right coach and it, and it's fun and it's fun for you. And it has to be fun for those kids. So uh, thanks again, Matt. So I'll, I'll leave it to you too. And that that's it for me. Ah, well, thanks for having me. Um, no, I really enjoyed it. And I think fun is really important. It 
has been in my coaching philosophy since I was, you know, I started coaching when I was a teenager. And so really quite a long time. Um, and I think as long as you keep that in mind, hey, it's all about having fun and building relationships and, you know, caring for the kids, they're going to get better, you know? And I think for me, it's watching them get better. And typically it's watching that kid that you don't expect to really get there. Getting there is uh, the most rewarding. For sure. Yeah. Well, before we sign off again, thank you, Matt. Awesome interview. Always fun to talk to you. I didn't know you before this whole process. So it's nice to kind of have uh, the name Matt O'Neill, at least in my, uh, in my small little diving community contact list. Like, Hey, I know the Harvard diving coach. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Um, so everybody out there listening, Twitter, Instagram, Gmail, we are at the diving pod. Uh, feel free, reach out, let us know what we are doing well, what we need to work on and we'll keep it going. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you guys. Thanks, Matt. We'll be in touch soon. Thanks. Talk to you soon. Right. Bye guys.